talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. Canada had a pandemic election and ended up in the same place. So that was worth the 600 million. Ted and Diane are in the newsroom. Ken and Lisa are on the street. Will is on the board. And here's Scott Thompson. You know, we might as well dance to Earth, Wind, and Fire. We just blew 600 million bucks. So, hey, have a good time. It's like New Year's Eve. Uh, good afternoon. It is 3.09. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. It is Hamilton Today. Uh, Kurt has introduced everybody. Ted picked the song today. Yep. You know, what I, and as you all know, uh, those that are listening to Hamilton Today since its uh, beginning, that everybody gets to pick the song, the top hour tune. I think after a week or so, I think we shouldn't even tell people who does, and then let people call in and, oh, that's Ted's song. Oh, that's Diana's. They'll be able to pick each other's songs, mm-hmm. I think. It, I it think won't so. take long. If yeah. I may, if I may interject, I should add that Ted and I, this was kind of a collaboration. We both were humming this today. Yep. Is there any other song for this day, though? Nope. <laughs> no. Ever. Well, there could be September Morn by Neil Diamond, but it's rather mellow, you know, rather... I think I think he's the nail on the head. Specific to the twenty first of September. Twenty first of September. I mean, and 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 just puts us in a really good mood after an election is over. So what the heck? I mean, I think we need a little jump in the step. Mm -hmm. Ted, uh, you talk about your love for the earth, the wind, and the fire. Yep, absolutely. Oh, you want me to? Well, <laughs> oh, I'm just kind of open there. Oh, yeah. Did you yeah, not, no. I remember during the beginning of the pandemic, yep. Ted had tickets for Earth, Wind, and the Fire. Yep. And then it, it shut down because of the pandemic, and you were very disturbed. It's yes. not a Chicago concert. It was an Earth, Wind, and Fire show. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've seen them both together, and I've seen them separately. Earth, Wind, and Fire, Fire put on an incredible show. They are so good and if you you know if you can't dance or move your head then you know then there's something wrong because which is really most of the audience when you think about it in one of those shows nowadays yeah. you know <laughs> no, they, they're they're incredible they really they are, are they are very good and of course uh ted's love for the uh rhythm and blue shows again yes see and there is a trend here anything motown on our show is ted yep. as well yeah, stevie wonder yeah. there yeah. all right see? yep all right kids let's talk about what happened uh by the way uh we were going to have ted's wheel coming up in half an hour but because of election coverage ted you got bumped oh, okay <laughs> so we're going to save the wheel and we're not going to tell you what year because you'll go into your computer and then look it up and then you'll blast <laughs> me away tomorrow so you know shove the uh the roulette wheel back in the closet until right. tomorrow okay so what are your thoughts on all of this kids uh to end up where we are after this you know you're pretty sorry dan you really all summed it up nothing's changed yeah. right you're watching and it's like okay 158 seats 119 the tories what lost one liberals whatever um nothing's changed 600 million dollars and i heard some of the pundits today hopefully with a minority government we won't be going back to the polls from 18 months from now give it three years give it a, a chance to to work because I would not want to be the leader that says, you know what, I think we should go to the polls relatively quickly. Well, we thought that before. I think yep. this one will be shorter than the last one oh. because people are irritated. They'll get us, they'll get us over the hump, and then it'll uh, go from there. Diana, you sighed. I heard that. Yeah, I think the Beaverton summed it up pretty well. They have, a, they have a tweet out, and I cackled when I read it. It says, liberals unveil $650 million spot the difference puzzle. Yeah. And they have a, a, a map of Canada 
with all the orange, red, and uh, and blue. It's- Instead of where's Waldo, it's where's the majority. Yeah. yeah. Did anybody predict this? Now, you said yesterday, uh, Ted, and many said a minority, but I don't think many thought we'd end up in pretty much the same place that we were. No, I actually, not on air, but I told several people in here, I thought that it would be a progressive conservative minority, maybe not by much. Yeah. That was the sense I was getting, but I thought it was interesting that Diana, uh, who can share with the class, uh, the people and the length of time that it took to vote, does this mean that more people? Well, actually, no. It doesn't mean that more. It's people a lower voted. turnout. Yeah. Yeah. It was fifty-seven percent or some ridiculous yeah. figure. But Diana was saying it took her a long time to vote yesterday. Yeah, I did. I was voting on uh, Hamilton Mountain, obviously where I live, and um, I was voting at the polling station at Upper Gage and Queensdale. And uh, God bless them. I mean, you got to give them a shout out. The volunteers that were working, yeah. they were trying their best. I think everyone was doing their best given the circumstances. But, uh, you know, I went right after work and I got there. I said, oh, my God, that line's way too long. Went back after dinner. It was even longer. And really? the mosquitoes were out. So oh. it took about an hour to get in with the mosquito. Really? Yeah. And the mosquitoes were buzzing and everything. And uh but we so got in what, there. What, uh, what time was it when you actually voted? Because there were some shots I saw on some news coverage where they were at the polling station because the lineups were so long. I think Vaughn was one of them that they kept the polling station open until everybody got through the line. Yeah, I think I, I voted at around 830, I yeah. want to say. So that makes sense. But yeah. And as a result, turnout lower. I mean, uh, nothing on campuses. We all had uh, there, there were issues. I think Toronto said they were from went from ninety to like less than twenty stations. Yeah, I had heard. Uh, actually, my wife told me that that she saw it on on a newscast, and I questioned just to make sure that she heard it right. Some people waited close to four hours to yeah. vote wow. in an election. Yeah. What are we, the United you know, States? Yeah, they should have given everybody a free roll of toilet paper as they came out the other <laughs> end. It reminds you of the early stages of the pandemic. So let me ask you both this. Uh, is this a win or a loss for the prime minister? Loss. The loss. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, still the prime minister. And when we look back in history, we won't say, oh, yeah, he had a minority. But again, uh, he called the election. So but that was the goal. He's also spinning it even uh, as late as Friday we had on this station that uh, he was saying, well, you know, if it's a minority government, it's not a law. So we can work with it. So he was already getting things ready just yeah. in case he did not get what he wanted to. And he didn't. So, you know, I I'm sorry. Minority government, second time out. And what I started to say, Scott, yesterday was when I voted for the first time in 72 uh pierre trudeau yeah. was the leader of the liberal mm-hmm. party and he took them straight into a minority with robert stanfield so a little bit of a parallel but um i just in the end what's changed well at least we all got out and vote and yes. no matter what happened uh congratulations to everybody for that the proof of vaccination policy applies to non-essential settings like gyms, movie theaters, and indoor dining at restaurants. Jason Thorne, director of Hamilton's Emergency Operations Center, says bylaw officers will be focusing on education over enforcement at first. We do exercise what we call progressive enforcement. Uh, so we we're looking at making sure that we're educating and explaining the rules when we're out with businesses, um, helping them to become compliant. The COO of Hamilton's Chamber of Commerce says some businesses are already seeing backlash to the policy on social media and is asking residents to be patient with businesses that are required to follow the provincial direction. Lisa Pulaski, 900 CHML News. And I believe a month from now there will be an electronic updated version of all of this leading towards something that will have all of that information on, which I'm all for. Uh, just give me a card. I can 
can use for everything. Give me a, put a chip in my head. It doesn't matter. Uh, let's just get some sort of consistent measure that works uh, across the country as well as across town. Uh, and lots to talk about today with Dr. Colin Furness, epidemiologist and assistant professor at the Faculty of Information at the University of Toronto's Dalalana School of Public Health. As we are through uh, getting or through moving through the fourth ra- uh, fourth wave of a COVID nineteen pandemic, and of course finished off a federal election. Dr. Colin Furness is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you. All right. First of all, let's talk about an election. And many talked about the safety and, and the, the ability to do this during a global pandemic. Obviously, the vast majority of Canadians are now vaccinated. However, that being said, uh, another will, will this be sort of like a super spreader event? Will we see a spike in cases as a result of a polling day? It's possible, and I certainly hope not. I had been uh, really trying to be as vocal as I could to say, please, get a mail-in ballot. I mean, this is an avoidable crowd. And I know some people were saying, I'm vaccinated, it should be fine. Creating a crowd means that a crowd is there. And some people in that crowd are not vaccinated. And so it would have been great to have done advanced poll or mail-in ballot. And I was hoping mail-in ballots would have a greater, uh, just a really greater profile, because I think it's it's good for engagement. Uh, I, we don't need a pandemic, I think, to try and get a bit more creative about how to engage voters. So, I, you know, for all those who did that, I think that's great. We may see a bit of a bump. Um, I really don't know how bad the lineups got, um, but it's it's something where you could easily see a super spreader event. Hopefully not many. Uh, less polling stations obviously incre- increased the lineups. We saw shots of Vaughn last night where they were weaving through the, uh, through the parking lot and such. Uh, again, the majority of Canadians vaccinated. How long will it take before we see the fallout of this? Certainly for the lineups that are outside, I'm, I'm less concerned. As long yeah. as people aren't really cheek and jowl, that's, uh, that's not bad. Lineups inside, I think, would be really concerning. We would see that, that bump in, the, in we, we could see it in about a week if we're doing enough testing. I don't think we're doing enough testing. So actually, it may be more like two to three weeks before we see hospitalizations. Hospitalizations we track very readily. Testing, you know, we may get a lot of cases that go under the radar. Um, and uh, arguably, mild cases aren't the thing we need to be worried about. We need to be worried about hospitalizations. So that that would be the metric, two to three weeks. On that note, uh, school started after Labor Day. Uh, What are we seeing? uh, Should we be seeing that fallout now? And your thoughts there? Yes, and but it'll take a while to detect. Yeah. Uh, we certainly know right off the bat there were uh, cases in schools. I think we've now hit the mark of a thousand kids uh, with COVID positive in schools in Ontario. That's a really high number. Now, what that doesn't say is how much of it is actually transmission in the classroom. Some of it definitely is. Uh, but of course, the more community prevalence there is, the more likely kids are going to be bringing it to school rather than catching it at school. Uh, both are bad. And certainly the more kids who bring it to school, the more kids will catch it at school. So that pattern, I think, is just starting to emerge. And I I think there's going to be some schools that are winners and losers based on built form, based on how good their ventilation is, based on socioeconomic and demographic factors around where the school is located. So there's a lot of there's a lot of variation. I think when we talk about schools, and, and obviously elementary schools with unvaccinated kids are far more worrisome uh, than high schools are. But it's it's I, it could take another I think probably another two to three weeks to be able to see really what the impact is. So, so we're not out of the woods yet. Uh, Pfizer announcing uh, their drug approved, their vaccine approved for those 5 to 11. Uh, your thoughts on that and how quickly before we see it in the, uh, in the young arms of Canadians? 
it's fantastic news. We've known for a while to expect that in September, so and we were expecting good news. So this is not a surprise. It's a delight, though, because it's so positive. Uh, if if there's if there's a certain number of side effects in kids, Health Canada will take longer and maybe request more data when when it emerges, which it has, that that we haven't seen side effects. Not even the the um, the swelling around the heart, which is non non lethal but certainly worrisome. We're not seeing that. Uh, COVID produces that in kids, but the vaccine isn't, and so that may mean speedier uh, speedier approval. I'd been saying two months ago that we could be injecting kids under 11 by November, and that would be amazing. That would be very optimistic. We could conceivably be doing that even earlier. All depends on Health Canada now, but I'm optimistic, and, and I can't wait. This is a big deal. This is, this is a milestone. Boy, next year could be completely different from the last two, couldn't it, Doctor? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, if we can, if we can get kids inoculated well before the Christmas holidays, Christmas holidays themselves could actually start to yeah. be a little bit normal. That's something that we all deserve, and and I'm fingers crossed we can get there. Uh, vaccine passports out today in Ontario. What are the challenges? There's lots been lots of debate about this. You've got an article in the Toronto Sun, or sorry, Toronto Star, the Toronto Star this past weekend on this. Uh, what are the challenges with this moving forward? Will this work? This is a difficult thing. I, you know, I think having certificates matters, and I think having some policy around them makes sense. Uh, we, we're not doing either very well. There isn't a sort of a, a, a standard document yet. We don't have a secure app. We don't have those things. So we're relying on bits of paper, and, and it's very inconsistent. And it puts you know people like uh, hosts at restaurants and and you know whoever the whoever the gatekeepers are at various businesses and cashiers. It puts them actually at a fair bit of risk for abuse. And I'm not even just talking about negative ratings on Yelp. I'm talking about out and out assault and verbal abuse. And this is very unfortunate. It is certainly not the fault of anyone working in any particular enterprise what the policies are and whether you agree with them or not. I happen to agree with them, not to force vaccination, but to make life more convenient for those who are vaccinated and, and, and safer for those who are vaccinated by making life less convenient for those who aren't. And then people can choose, you know, their principle or, or convenience. And, and, and I think that'll have an effect. Uh, once these are digitized post-October, will this not be just like an age majority card in the old days or your, or your license to get into a bar? You show it, you're either in or you're out. Yeah, I think at its best, that's exactly what I think it would do. You know, if I if I could choose, I would have this as a federal program, and maybe that still will happen, because yeah. this is going to matter for interprovincial travel and international travel. And if the federal government did it, we wouldn't actually have to worry about the recalcitrance of different provincial governments, depending on their leanings around doing this kind of support. So a federal initiative would be ideal, and a, and a standard, standardized, recognizable, verifiable card, that would be perfect. Dr. Colin Furness with us, epidemiologist and assistant professor at the Faculty of Information, University of Toronto's Dalalana School of Public Health. Colin, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Thank you. Poll question of the day is, how do you feel about Monday's election results? And it's sitting right now at 55% good, 45% bad. What are your thoughts on that, Ted? Again, um, I, I just don't think we're any further ahead. You know, and everybody's sitting here saying, well, you know, Justin Trudeau, I would suggest that if some other party was in the exact same situation, maybe they would have done the same thing just to keep power, you know? 
And maybe this is the devil you know versus the devil you don't know mm-hmm. in the sense that, um, you know, uh, people are concerned with a, a global pandemic, not with election, and I'm not going to take the time to look. I mean, obviously a lower turnout. So. Well, yeah, 58%. So most people, yeah, you're right, I, I, you know, they're worried about their kids coming home from school and what do they have and, you know, the COVID protection and going to work and everything else. So I don't know. I mean... Uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, he got his, you know, his mandate kind of back, but I'm, I just don't see what changed to the I wonder how he's feeling. million dollars. I wonder if he's feeling that this is a win today. <sighs> Probably. I mean, his... I mean, you're hanging on to the job, but you don't get the promotion. It's, it's, uh, and, and really that was the only purpose for it. Uh, be fascinating to see. Let's bring in yes. Peter Grave, professor of political science, McMaster University. Uh, he is with us now. Peter, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thanks. So, Peter, your thoughts on how this all turned out? Surprised after 600 million, we're back in the same place, right back where we started from. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's reasons to think we might not see a big change by Election Day, particularly after things got narrow after the first week, but the extent to which uh, almost nothing changed is pretty, pretty surprising. I mean, even if, you know, not much had changed overall, you would have thought there would have been a bit more in the way of local dynamics of seat change. How do you think Canadians are feeling today, thinking we've, we paid the bill to end up in the same place? Uh well, I don't know. I mean, ultimately, this is presumably the result they wanted <laughs> collectively. Uh, mm. the choice but it's also made. the result we had before spending the $600 million. I mean, are people sitting there and thinking, well, gee whiz, we're obviously in great debt because of a global pandemic. That money could have been better spent in other places than where we already were. Yeah, I'm not sure that they're really thinking that way. I mean, I think they are thinking, uh, you know, on on what basis. I mean, I think there's a cost to uh, Trudeau's legitimacy in the sense that a lot of people are saying, you know, he he caused this for what? Uh, All the things he promised to do, he could have been doing with, you know, two years of runway. And so, yeah, I mean, I I think in that way, it's a kind of further blow to uh, the legitimacy of the prime minister. But ultimately, I mean, Canadians had a choice of changing uh, the direction of this country in this election, and they most clearly decided not to. I mean, it's almost identical result to last time, which, you know, would seem to suggest that despite the pandemic, people aren't willing to give uh, Trudeau, you know, an added benefit of the doubt in terms of a bounce from the management of the pandemic. But at the same time, they aren't willing to give the keys to someone else. So is, if you're Justin Trudeau, if you're the prime minister this morning, is this a win or, I mean, you still got the, you're still in the prime minister's office or, uh, but again, you, you shut this down to start uh, or hopefully uh, pursue a majority. So would this be a win or a tie? Yeah, or a loss. I mean, uh, yeah. I think, you know, ultimately within the Liberal Party, uh, you know, at various times around the Wee scandal and so on, there was a sense of people who thought, well, we've had enough of this guy, and his style of leadership is not helping the party. And I think in this instance, uh, you have a lot of people who said, I was just weeks away from getting my pension, and you put that on the line for what? Uh, and other people in that you know, party saying, we had the chance to do these things, and we were willing to risk it for, risk it for what? So in that way, you know, uh, I suspect Mr. Trudeau comes out of this diminished, uh, but also with other people in his caucus uh, willing to say, yeah, you've had six years, maybe you'll have seven or eight, but by the time we come to the next election, there's going to be someone else uh, leading this party. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, a bit more internal uh, disunity within that party and people questioning the leadership of Mr. Trudeau 
uh, in much more open manner. So the idea, you know, it's been great, but it's it's time uh, to move on. Because clearly, you know, Canadians uh, weren't willing to give them a bump. Uh, we saw in the early provincial elections, uh, the premiers got a bump. Uh, but, you know, certainly Mr. Trudeau saw no benefit off of what he considered was a glorious management of this pandemic. So is this story about O'Toole's loss or the failure for the Prime Minister to get a majority? Uh, I'd say it's more the the failure to, to get a majority. I mean, certainly, you know, I'm, I'm sure within the Conservative Party there will be a lot of questions because Mr. O'Toole did spend a lot of capital in this uh, race. I mean... Six months ago, his party said, don't touch climate change. We don't think that's something, a big issue for us. You know, uh, Mr. O'Toole made the willingness to, to change his party's position a, an important part of his campaign. He was also, you know, trying to make uh, appeals around, uh, you know, the party's view on abortion and on uh, the place of gays and lesbians in this, in this country as, you know, important changes in how that party talked in, in those issues. Uh, and it gave him essentially nothing. So, you know, at that level... Um, uh, yeah, there will be people within the Conservative Party, especially the people who got re-elected, who generally are from areas where they're getting uh, comfortably re-elected on, uh, you know, much more conservative platform. Uh, they'll make them probably pretty uh, impatient with Mr. O'Toole. So I think he will have some difficult times ahead if he wishes to continue to recenter uh, the Conservative Party a bit closer to the to the centre. Because I mean, he tried, and clearly it didn't pay off. But I presume his argument will be that he had less than a year to actually try and make that stick. So, uh, only got a a limited amount of time left. How long will this minority last? Will it last as long as the last one? Well, I mean, the last one was meant to last till, uh, you know, uh, 2023, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this one lasts till about 2023. I mean, in the last one, uh, you know, the Bloc and the NDP didn't want to bring down the government because they both thought they were, were going to lose. Uh, I think the bloc is now further from the Liberals, given how this campaign went. So the the Liberals rely much more on the NDP. And I think the NDP has a view that Mr. Singh was really popular this time, but it didn't translate at the level of seats, but that in two more years, uh, they might be much better placed to to make some gains. So in in that case, I think they're going to be driving a much harder bargain with the Liberals, and so we might be more likely to see an election again, you know, maybe after two years. Peter Griff with us, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University, after the dust has settled. Thanks so much for the time, Peter. Be well. And you too. If you're all about drama and gossip, well, this isn't for you. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. The Liberals anticipated winning a majority. That's why Justin Trudeau triggered a $600 million election, to get a majority. But Canadians said no. While we didn't get the results we had hoped for, I'm proud of our team for holding the Liberals to a minority in this pandemic election. Our caucus is strengthened by new members from Newfoundland and Labrador, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Quebec, Ontario, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and British Columbia. That is Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole uh, actually speaking now. Uh, to the news media in regard to uh, the election results uh, last night. Uh, $600 million to basically end up at the exact same place. Let's bring in Tim Powers, Chairman of Summa Strategies and Managing Director of Abacus Data, and with us now. Tim, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Listen, Scott, I'm well. But it, let's you and I split the 600 mil, and we'll each take 300. I think we can do something more productive than get the same outcome. Uh, you know, you're thinking as we're spending all this money during a pandemic, as we should, that this would have made a nice, a nice down payment on that debt. Yeah. 
down payment on the debt, uh, you know, boil water issues could have been dealt with in different communities, mental health supports. There's lots of places where that money could have uh, could have gone. But uh, anyway, it went towards a democratic exercise that has given us the same result. And not a lot of people seem super happy today, Scott. The prime minister very much selling it like he had just won the world last night, which I think really aggravates people even more that he just doesn't come clean on any of this stuff. But how can you feel good about spending $610 million and and ending up staying right in the exact same place? Well, I suppose I suppose his thinking it's better than losing. Uh, yeah. And there was a possibility he could have lost the campaign. Um, so he's got to spin it that way. I mean, they all have to spin it in, in, a, in a particular perspective. But, uh, look, he was gunning for majority. You and I have been talking about that for months on your various programs. He didn't get his majority. I think he'll have some peace for a brief period of time. But his own party at some point, I'm sure, will start to express some frustrations they have with him, though they would still prefer to be in government than opposition. So he does have a, a little bit of leeway. So uh, obviously they they made a play and it was the wrong one. So how would he be feeling? How would the party be feeling? Because really, this is a, a six hundred million dollar embarrassment for not putting it uh, for not you know extending his his stay, getting him his majority. Uh, is there any reason to believe this one will last? This minority will last as long as the last one. Well, in in history, they they only tend to go eighteen months to you know two years. I think this will probably be the same course. Though I think a lot will happen in this one, as in political dynamics changing. I'd be very surprised if the prime minister served out the minority. He'd be going through uh, for a fourth term. Um, you know, maybe things collapse on the conservative side, and that gets better. But you know, the speculation around here in Ottawa, Scott, is. He probably will step down at some point during this minority because um, one, he was going, the sense was he was going to do that if he got a majority. It's a little harder to do in a minority. But I think, uh, he, yeah, I think he will. Uh, I, I don't. Why would he, he step would. down, though, Tim? Why would he, why would he do that? Uh, well, I have a few things. I think he, he you know, uh, he recognizes it's going to be harder to win next time. Uh, he would rather go out supposedly on top. Uh, where he can have the choice of things to do. He would be a bit of a hit on the speaking circuit, particularly if he gets some more movement on environmental policy. And he doesn't want to face the ignominy of a potential defeat. Not that that's guaranteed, but, and, and, and he's also, I think, tired to be fair to him or to anybody that's been leading in these pandemics and running a minority government. It's pretty fatiguing. So, uh, I think the luster is wearing off and he also sees the toxicity towards him is increasing. Now, I'm talking like a rational person. Not all politicians are, uh, may, but, but, but that is some of the speculation around here. So what are they saying at Liberal headquarters today? Uh, they're happy, look, because they recognized that they could have, uh, I, I think in the immediate term, they're happy that they got a win. I think it will take um, not too much longer to recognize, oh, yeah, what what is it we've actually won? Because there was acrimony, not to the degree the prime minister described it, Creek being in at the end of the last minority par- parliament. Uh, it is all still effectively the same. The prime minister doesn't have the political capital he once had. So it's going to be a hell of a lot harder uh, to get things done to the degree that they were able to get them done before, which makes people irritable. And also there'll be talk, I suspect, of what succession eventually looks like, whether he stays or goes. They have to think more about who's next uh, in the next number of uh, next couple of years.
It's funny because all I'm seeing on the media now is uh, whether uh, the conservatives Aaron are going to boot yeah. O'Toole or not. And here you're talking about, you know, the prime minister standing down. That's interesting. Um, I like to mix it up for you, Scott. Who wants to be predictable, right? Uh, at the end of the day, why did we end up where we are? Why did we go through the exercise and end up in the exact same place? What does that tell you? Well, I, I think it says that none of the parties really had a compelling proposition that motivated people to vote, and people voted out of uh, instinct in part, frustration in other part, and I think there's also some wisdom in the vote. I don't want to diminish the choices Canadians just made. I think Canadians do like minority parliaments better than politicians do. Uh, we just went through this pandemic, most of it, with a minority parliament. We're going to finish it off, I hope, with another minority parliament. This is the fifth minority parliament of this uh, 21-year-old century, and there have only been three majority parliaments. There's also more regional fragmentation. So a bunch of factors there, I think, Scott. In hindsight, is it best for the opposition to be in opposition right now as opposed to taking the reins of this now as it's really the hardest part? Uh, giving out the money and, and taking care of people during a pandemic is one thing. Uh, paying for it and getting things fired back up again is another. Any parliamentarian will tell you here that their best day in opposition is never as good as the worst day in government. So, mm. you know, the Conservatives would prefer to be in government. The NDP are probably the happiest. I mean, they're going to frame victory as the one extra seat they got and an extra point of popular support because they're going to have a lot of sway in where things go or don't go in Parliament. So Mr. Singh can claim victory and uh, and, and be an agitator-in-chief, a bit uh, bit like uh, the bloc leader, Mr. Blanchet, who also got a couple of seats. And all he has to do is carp uh, about what needs to be done in Quebec. Tim Powers with us, Chairman of Summa Strategies and Managing Director of Abacus Data, talking about the day after election fallout. Tim, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Take care, my friend. Bye. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. You are sending us back to work with a clear mandate to get Canada through this pandemic and to the brighter days ahead. And my friends, that's exactly what we are ready to that do. That is the Prime Minister uh, thanking Canadians for giving him the mandate that he already had. Uh, and by the way, that $600 million tab, that's coming too uh, very soon. Uh, it's amazing how the Prime Minister sort of spun that as if uh, it's, uh, you know, a, a victory. And I guess it is a victory. He still is the Prime Minister, my goodness. Of course it's a victory. But let's not forget, this was triggered not by the opposition and a vote of non-confidence. It was triggered because the Prime Minister wanted a majority government. So we spent all that money to try to get him his majority. And Canadians said, no, we like it the way it is. And here we are. All right. So obviously Canadians feeling one way. What does this do for the business community? What does it do for uh, markets and, and just stability in general when it comes to, uh, I guess, recovering from a post-COVID-19 pandemic? Let's bring in Ian Lee, Associate Professor, Sprott School of Business at Carleton University to join Hamilton today. And he's with us now. Ian, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I'm doing very well. Thank you, Scott. So your thoughts after a election that ends up in the same place? Uh, I wasn't surprised. I mean, the polling numbers, um, and I do respect polling numbers, by the way. I don't buy into that argument that they're wrong. The underlying mathematics of polling has been around for a very long time. The only reason that we do get variation is because people change their opinion by, mm -hmm. by the second. We human beings are very dynamic, so our views change and evolve. 
Um, and uh, so, to quickly, the the all the polls were showing strongly po- suggesting liberal minority. There was only a debate over, you know, whether it was going to be 140 seats, 145, 150. And uh, it came out where much where people expected it, which demonstrated, at least to me, that this was an election that was not needed. Uh, so, and that's empirically demonstrated by the fact that the numbers, that the number of seats did not change and public opinion did not really change at all. So is this a win for a prime minister or not? I mean, I guess it is because you're still in the office, but that wasn't the goal. I'm going to give you a, a counterfactual to most of the pundits that have uh, written so far. I've, I've read the media and the Globe and Mail, the Post, Toronto Star, and so forth. And full disclosure, I don't belong to any party, don't donate money to any party. I do not allow any lawn signs in any federal or provincial or municipal election on my front lawn. I try to keep scrupulously neutral. But I do have a point of view. <laughs> and um, uh, I'm evidence-based, as you know. I'm a numbers guy. What that means is I went first thing to the seats. Okay, and he didn't gain a majority. That's clear. We all know that. Then I looked at the popular vote because that's really important. That's like your market share into a business. And uh, Mr. Trudeau's maximum market share was in 2015. His maximum vote, the share of the vote, it dropped quite significantly in 2019. It dropped again yesterday. And in fact, um, Mr. O'Toole's went up. The, the, I can empirically, factually, electorally state that Mr. O'Toole is the most popular federal leader in Canada as of yesterday. Yeah, he won the People popular vote. Yeah. may be shouting at me at their radio. All I'm saying, <laughs> go look up the stats. He got 34%, round 34. Trudeau got around 32. Numbers don't lie. That's we the people voting. I won't get into why we did it. How we did it, that's the numbers. That's the score of the football game. <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, maybe the team should have won the t- game, you know, but, you know, if Aaron Rodgers has a bad game and he has less points on the scoreboard than the other team, well, then the Packers lose the game. Okay, so my point is, is that uh, I think Mr. Trudeau is going to face enormous problems in the back room. Uh, uh, for two uh, two two uh, points of uh, two two points that are going to challenge him, the back benches are nowhere near as quote progressive as Mr. Trudeau is. The front bench, because he chose the front bench, is much more to the left, if you will, of the 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 heart and soul of the Liberal Party. In my view, this is my opinion. Now, I'm not presenting facts. I'm just giving you my judgment. And there's a lot of backbenchers there from small-town Canada and suburbia who are nowhere near as progressive as he is. So he's going to get pushback from them and in terms of his spending and deficits and so forth. The backroom people, and I'm talking the, 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 you know, the organizers that you sometimes see on television, and the moneybags men, the people that donate the big bucks, um, at time and effort and money, they're going to be looking at these numbers, and they won't be uh, influenced by spin, by political spin at the microphone. They will say he's been the leader since 2013, so he's been eight years as a leader. He got a majority, then he got a minority, uh, with a much reduced uh, vote count uh, percentage of the vote, and then he went a third time, and the vote count went down even more. So the long-term trend is down, not up. And I think that they will conclude, yes, he's a good quarterback. He can get us into the playoffs, but he can't get us into the Super Bowl and win the big game. That's what I think they're going to conclude. So I would not be surprised in the next two or three years if he goes for the proverbial walk in the snow 
and leaves politics because the liberals are about winning. And uh, they uh, will come to the conclusion in the fullness of time by looking at these hard numbers that he can't take them uh, to the big, to the to the big. Yeah, game. many have already said that his days, his hopes of getting a majority in the future are uh, pretty much nil. How does the how does the business community view this when it comes to stability? Because obviously we're coming through a pandemic and then an election. What about the stability around the business community? How are they feeling? You're right, and because uh, that's what I'm focusing focusing on, and that's what I talk about to my students, of course. And uh, businesses hate uh, instability. Um, that's the thing that drives them crazy. They want to know what the rules of the game are, uh, whatever that is, tax rules, you know, the unemployment insurance premiums, the cost of the premiums to the business, etc. They want stability. And, of course, uh, um, uh, minority governments are more unstable because you don't know what's going to come because it depends on the last deal you negotiate with the other party that's supporting you uh, to stay in power. And so I don't think that the business community is going to be jumping up and down with enthousi- wild enthusiasm. The second reason they're going to be unhappy about this is there is a belief, and I think there's good re- academic research supporting this. I say academic because it's empirical. They've got data. Is that minority governments tend to spend more money than majority parliaments because they have to... Uh, put out money, spend money to support the, the party that's supporting them. So the Liberals will have to put more money on the table in Parliament and spend more money to meet the demands of the NDP. And that will drive up the deficit. And, uh, and so I think that that's the second reason why the business committee will not will privately be very unhappy with this or less than enthusiastic about this election outcome. Ian Lee with his associate professor, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University, talking about the election fallout the day after from a business perspective. Ian, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. My pleasure. Thank you. Let's bring in Alex Pearson, of course, host of On Point with Alex Pearson. You hear uh, weeknights right here on CHML and was at the conservative headquarters last night uh, reporting with Global News. She's with us now. Alex, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am barely, barely functioning at 540, but uh, yes, <laughs> we go on. So your take on what you witnessed last night? All I got for $612 bucks is a bit of cowbell. Yeah, good for you. Rocking the cowbell on the broadcast. I saw that and I said, I'll take that, thanks a lot, for, uh, for today. But yeah, that was about the only celebration I had uh, last night at O'Toole headquarters. So how do you think Canadians are feeling? Are Canadians happy they spent $600 million to end up at the same spot? They shouldn't be. I mean, like you said, I mean, what did we get? Like, nothing. It's like, okay, back to business. Trudeau's like, yeah, onward, let's move forward. I'm like, we, we didn't have to do this. I mean, I'm sure you'd like us to look forward, because who wants to look back at that bill? Cause I love when he said in his. I love when he said in his victory speech, I now have a clear mandate. I, I was driving home. Uh, from from uh, headquarters in Oshawa, I almost drove off the road. I was like, "Clear mandate? What's he drinking? Yeah. Clear mandate? He he got the <laughs> same mandate he got before. Like, what color's the sky in your world? <laughs> I mean, we got nothing. We got no return on investment. Nothing. I think, you know, I think actually a lot more damage has been done because here I am seeing all these massive lines: Kingston, Vaughan, Woodbridge, people yeah. standing out there for hours. Downtown Toronto waiting for hours to cast a ballot the election's called and you think to yourself i'm sure those people are feeling like not only did i not want this election i just spent hours waiting to vote because elections canada couldn't put the election together properly and my vote didn't even count like you think they're coming out next time scott 
You know, well, you bring up not. a very you bring you bring up a very valid point because when there was the chatter of an election and there's been lots of it over the course of this pandemic, Election Canada was, oh yeah, not a problem. We can do it. Yeah, the vaccine's coming in, so we're all good. We're all good. Not a problem from Elections Canada to throw an election. Yet nobody at any time during this said, oh by the way, there'll be a lot less polling stations for you to go to. Uh, during this campaign, and 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 you're going to have to travel farther to get there as a result of all of that. Like none of that was man was announced. So like, had they announced, yes, this is going to be difficult. There'll be less polling stations. You'll have to travel farther. I mean, who in their right mind would have called an election? And if this was the United States and it was Donald Trump, my goodness, we would be crying anarchy. And here we have literally stopped people from voting by shrinking the amount of polls. Yeah, and Elections Canada did air the grievance at the beginning saying, well, we need a longer writ. We need more than 36 days. Can you make it 50? And the Trudeau government said, no. And they said, well, can you not then kind Would of that have made a difference, do you think? 50 days? Well, I, I would hope so, because then maybe they would have had opened advanced polling for more than four days. I mean, they asked the Trudeau government, okay, can you enact some legislation that lets us uh, maybe do a weekend vote of two days instead of doing it during the week? So they knew that there were going to be issues, but the Trudeau government said, no, like we're going to do it 36 days or whatever, and that, that's what we're going to do. And so should have Elections Canada said, this is not going to work? Absolutely. They yeah. um, we will not know how many people looked at those long lines. I mean, you take a city like downtown Toronto, uh, 15 polling stations out of the average 90 that we have. Yeah, I mean, there were nuts. people that uh, were turned away likely in droves. I mean, if you've only got a half an hour lunch break and you're seeing those lines, you go in to vote. Um, if you're the mom uh, of three kids and you're working shift work, are you taking the bus across town to get to a polling booth after working a 12-hour shift? No. I mean, this was such a colossal failure for Canadians. And so should Canadians be happy? Absolutely not. They've been just played for fools. So we've only got about a, a minute left. What, what what do you think the the discussions are in Liberal headquarters behind the scenes right now? Good God, I have no idea. I mean, the discussions Justin Trudeau will have with his own, uh, you know, uh, ring uh, will be much different than probably what's going on in maybe Christian Freeland's uh, neck of the woods or Mark Carney. Um, you know, ultimately it's his party. Um, I guess he'll decide if he runs because. You know, he is the brand, but I can't think that there are not going to be leadership battles. And then, of course, you've got O'Toole, who's fighting for his political life. Uh, there will definitely, the, knife, the knives have been sharpened for, for days now. Um, so you got two main political parties in this, in this country. Here's the collateral damage of this election that probably will not be focused on any kind of governing because they're going to be too busy fighting for their political lives. So the whole thing's a mess. I think people yeah. should be questioning, frankly, like, what the heck's going on? Like, what, what did we get for that? Think about how much money we could have given to the homeless or building shelters or hospitals. No, instead we got the exact same results as we had before. And yeah. considering the bill we're going to have from COVID-19, boy, wouldn't that $600 million have gone towards that? It's just absolutely mind-boggling. Alex Pearson with us, host of On Point with Alex Pearson. You'll hear her later tonight. As always, Alex, thanks so much for the time. Be well and enjoy the More bell. There you go. That's a $600 million bell you got. <laughs> If you're all about drama and gossip, well, this isn't for you. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. More people voted for Canada's Conservatives than any other party, and that's a strength to build on. Our support has grown. It's grown across the country, but clearly there is more work for us to do.
to earn the trust of Canadians. That is Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole talking about his post-election performance. Uh, we're talking about his performance post-election. All right, $600 million to pretty much end up in the same place. Let's bring in Peter Wollstonecroft, retired professor of political science. He is with us now. Peter, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, we're one day closer to the next election. <laughs> Isn't that that's a fascinating way to put it, Peter? How do you think, uh, or how are Canadians supposed to feel uh, after this? Uh, how do you think they do feel? I, I think they're mystified. Uh, why was this election occurring? And I'm thinking about my liberal friends who even yesterday, as they went to the polls, were saying, I'm not happy about this election. And the turnout will be under 60% uh, when everything's said and done and counted. Uh, so that puts it at very much at the low end, not the lowest, but the low end of turnout elections. Um, it was also the, the first election... Or put it this way, the, the election since 1921 with the lowest number of seat changes in the aggregate. Mm. So it it was a as they say a nothing burger, nothing happened. The Conservatives won seats in Atlantic Canada. Uh, they lost some seats in Toronto and uh, mainland BC. A couple of others. That was it. The Liberals lost seats here and there and evened out. Um, the NDP picked up one. The Bloc a couple. Uh, the Green and the riding next to me in Kitchener Centre, but they lost a seat in Nanaimo. So hardly any change whatsoever. Uh, the party shares of the vote uh, hardly moved at all. Um, Aaron O'Toole's speech uh, was reminded me, when I listened to it uh, last night and comments today, reminded me of what Andrew Scheer said uh, two years ago. Hmm. Uh, Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau complained in the reason for calling an election. He wanted a majority that he, he could not get anything done. Will it be easier now? Well, it will be for a while, but I don't think he had much difficulty before. He was having... The thing is, there's lots of questions that the Liberals don't want to answer. If you have a minority government, then the the opposition parties control the committees and they can ask questions. And if you have a majority, then it's not that hard to shut things down if things are uncomfortable. And we would not have heard anything about the we scandal. In so is that what we're going to see, Peter? Is more of those uh, uh, committees starting up again? Absolutely. And they're going to be probing. And, and when things happen, as always things happen, uh, they're going to be asking questions and putting pressure on the government. That's their job, holding them to account. I mean, how many politicians said last night, I'm going to hold the government to account? Yeah. You know, and um, those would be opposition party people. Uh, so, yeah, um, and, you know, we have uh, one of the big peculiarities in this country is that we have a highly diverse and regionalized society and an electorate, but we have a very controlled, centered parliament. And the, the, the parties are controlled by their top. Uh, the prime minister is surrounded by a large bureaucracy, the prime minister's office, yes, the Privy Council office. Uh, he runs the show. It's a highly centralized operation in a highly decentralized country. And, um, and the opposition parties have a function of trying to peel away those control mechanisms and uh, give us things, uh, give us pause about what's happening. So is this a win for Justin Trudeau? I mean, after all, he is still the prime minister. However, he spent $600 million and did not get his majority, which was the reason for it. So is it a win for him, or thank goodness I survived? I think it's the latter, and 
he he is fortunate that the People's Party of Canada got about five percent of the vote. Uh, in my area, Waterloo Region, there were five Liberal seats, and uh, one went green because their Liberal candidate was suspended his campaign. The other four seats stayed Liberal, but three of those seats went Liberal because the uh, People's Party of Canada uh, took votes away from the Conservatives, and the difference was to the advantage of the Liberals. Uh, I'm not that that uh, that happened in some other parts of the country. Not to the extent that some people, including me, thought might happen, that 20 to 30 seats. But the, the Tories lost a seat in Newfoundland because of the People's Party of Canada. And there were some other seats out west that they lost in urban areas. And uh, so probably 10 to 15 in that range. Uh, those seats that all likely held it would have gone conservative. Uh, so uh, instead of the Liberals or the NDP, so that cuts the Liberals down a bit and makes the conservative numbers much worse. So it, if it's a victory, it's a middling victory and, and uh, hardly anything that you go out and have an expensive dinner on. I remember when I was talking to Aaron O'Toole prior to the campaign even being called, I remember saying to him, you know, the, is not the um, the win in the center. Clearly, he took my advice and went there, although look what happened. So where does this leave uh, the Conservatives and how much of a factor will the PPC play moving forward? Well, the PPC had had the vaccination issue, and uh, I hope that's not here in two or three years. The next time we have an election, mm. the Conservatives have a have a have a, have a dilemma. Uh, the two years ago, they went to the right in kind of a polite way, and that didn't produce uh, victory for them overall. This time, uh, O'Toole took them to the center left. Uh, that did not work in urban Canada did not work in the that big swath of seats and include Hamilton in that uh on Hamilton to Whitby really right right all those seats uh hardly any uh, there were conservative losses certainly there was only a couple of gains uh, no big showing in in Toronto west it's all red city of Toronto is all red with a couple of NDPs orange but there's no blue and that's where the action is and uh, you know, the Conservatives have to know that if you're going to win in Canada, that's where you're going to have to do very well. And they have to understand that you have to go hunting where the ducks are. No more than, more than just where the ducks are, where the fat ducks are. And that's where, mm-hmm. they, that's where the battle is fought and, and won and lost. Peter Wilsoncroft with us, retired professor of political science, talking about the fallout of a COVID-19 pandemic election. Peter, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. All right. Thank you so much. Let's bring in Diana and Ted. Uh, time for a news break with Diana Weeks. Uh, and that is something other than, well, we need a break from the news. And snakes. Do you guys have a fear of snakes? Not a huge fan. Yeah. Put it that way. I'm not, like, really <laughs> afraid of them. Not really afraid of them. I mean, it depends on the size. And this next story I'm going to read, uh, it might change things for you, Ted. Oh, so if it's a small garter snake uh, yeah. that you're seeing on the, you know, that's okay. But if you get one of those big honkers, like, I'm out of there. Yeah. Yep. All right, let's have it. You want to hear about it, Ted? Yep, go ahead. Let's hear the snake story. All right, but for hang on a sec, I'm going to plug my ears and pretend I don't hear. Yeah, exactly. No, sorry, I'm kidding. (laughs) And that's what I'm going to tell our listeners: if you don't like hearing about snakes, I'm going to give you a couple seconds to plug your ears. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so police in Las Vegas say they found 30 boa constrictors in a single home. Now they came across the snakes. As they were doing 30, a lo- three, zero. Three, zero boa constrictors yeah. in one home. 
So they called, understandably, animal control. And you'd think that the snakes would have been taken away. But listen to this. It turns out that local laws in that area don't forbid having pythons like boa constrictors, even dozens of them, in a single dwelling. And since the snake were in the proper kind of cages, I don't know what kind of cage that would be. I'm not a snake aficionado. No action was taken against the owner. So my question is, how would you feel knowing that your neighbor had more than two dozen pythons in their house? Well, it's Vegas, baby, so anything goes there. Right? Like, are people boring I mean, them? Like, Britney Spears wraps around and goes on the stage? Like, Yeah, maybe they rent them out for appearances yeah. and such. You know, for acts. But, I mean, Vegas is a pretty wacky place. So, um, you know, uh, whereas in, in the suburbs of Hamilton, I'm not sure. Uh, a lot of people have trouble with, with chicken coops. So I'm not sure they're going to be happy with 30 boa constrictors in the house. <laughs> exactly. But how would you know? That's what I mean, right? And why would you even have 30 boa constrictors in one house? Well, like Scott was saying, you know, I never thought of that angle, but it's Vegas. Like, maybe Could be business. He, maybe he is renting them out. You know, people maybe have tigers in their homes in Vegas. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe, yeah, maybe it's just like a cable show. Is this not on Netflix? Is there not a show on this? Or what are we talking about here? <laughs> it's going to be like Tiger King, Snake King. Like yeah, absolutely. Gonna... Same sort of. <laughs> like absolutely. Why not? There you go, Cobra Commander. <laughs> Onward and upward. Well, wasn't there? Uh, what was the place that just recently they lost a reptile and found it back? What was that all about? It was Ray's, wasn't it? Ray's, little Ray's, yeah. Little yeah. Ray's, yeah, Ray's, yeah. yeah. On Barbie. Ray, lo- Ray lost a little Ray. That's and, right. And then they and they then the it. little Ray came back. Yeah. And that's a pretty fascinating <laughs> thing too. I remember thinking, like, my God, that thing was gone for like almost a month. But it turns out, and I didn't know this, I learned, you know, learned something new every day, that lizards they can bank their water and hydrate themselves or whatever for that long. It's pretty incre- impressive. Sure. I mean, they're used to hanging out in the desert. If they're stuck in a pet store, <laughs> they can survive some way. That's true. I used to have turtles, though. I, I'm a big uh, aquarist. I have, I have aquariums. I have an aquarium. And I, I just something I've done since I, have a ki- some, since I was a kid uh, and still have one. Uh, but there was a period during my aquarium days that I switched from fish to turtles. And you remember those little, and they're hard to get now, but I remember seeing them in like the old Woolworth stores way back when, where they, they were like the size of, um, I don't know, maybe a golf ball. And then there'd be all these little small things, you know, swimming around. And I think they banned them or got rid of them because there was, you know, salmonella or something like that. But then they came back. But what I didn't realize is these turtles grow. So they started just like those little turtles that you would see at the store way back when. Ted would remember that. And they're fascinating to watch. But then they kept growing. Yep. How and big would they get? it got to the point, well, I started with two little ones, again, the size of golf balls. By the time they were finished, seriously, the shell was the size of my, the palm of my hand, like my hand, wow. with my fingers closed. So it grew quite big. So one day I go, I'm, I'm walking, they were sitting right in front of the window, I lived in an apartment, and they were gone. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh, exactly, but gone for like a week. Where do they go? You're in an apartment. <laughs> so like a week later, yeah, exactly. I'm expecting to hear a scream from the floors below. I don't know. And uh, eventually, you know the little cupboard you have where your, you know, like your furnace and stuff is? Yes. I opened that some reason for to do something or a utility room or whatever. And there were the turtles underneath the furnace unit thing. So how they didn't dry out and, you know, they didn't look too happy by the time I saw them. They looked a little <laughs> chapped. But I put them back in, and uh, the pet store guy said, oh, yeah, once they get a certain size, man, they'll just stand on each other's shoulders and go right over the edge. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Here's the other thing, too. They poop like a dog. (laughs) Well, 
you have you have to clean your aquarium out like once a week because once they get bigger, it is rather they're like it, it's yeah they're pooping like me. Really? So uh, yeah. So what is eventually, the diet what of I a turtle? What, what what is a diet like? What do they, they eat? eat? Like pellet things. Okay. They eat like a pellet thing, but it's more yeah. It's like bigger than like a, what a fish food thing would be. So then I ended up I had enough of these. They're too you know too much. It was too much maintenance. You had to keep cleaning the aquarium. So I took them back. The guy picked them up. Literally threw them into a pond where there was a whole bunch of them in this pet store, and I got like a twenty or thirty dollar credit for fish. <laughs> <laughs> a credit. And now you know the rest, the rest of, of the story. story. <laughs> Man. Come on, let me hear your pet stories. The phone lines are open. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, but yeah, so but yeah, when you I thought for sure I was just gonna find some dried shells, but they were still alive like a week later. Man. A little what? chapped, a little dry, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> and what's the lesson of this story? Uh, the lesson of the story is think twice and learn about the pet you're about to purchase before you purchase it, because if you don't know all the details, you may get a few surprises, like mm-hmm. turtles that go over the wall. Yep. All right, let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show. You'll hear right after this one, and columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, how are you? I hope you're fine. I hope you're well. A little tired. Stayed up a little late last yeah, night. But, uh, yeah. Otherwise, look, eyes, eyes are a little sandpapery today, but otherwise good. I know exactly what you're saying, exactly how you're feeling right now. How do you think Canadians are feeling after spending $600 million on an election only to end up in the same place? Uh, you know what, Scott? I, I don't know how they're feeling, but I can tell you how I hope they're feeling, and I hope they're furious. And this is not a partisan position to take. It's We're at a time when we're spending money that we don't have, that our yep. kids are going to be saddled with, and we just told them, as someone described it, this is a $600 million cabinet shuffle. Yeah. And we should be furious at this. And in fact, before this election, I suggested, and it's not a law and it never will be, but if you are a political party that calls an election before your time, where it's not where you were, it was not where there was a vote of non-confidence, where you just decide to roll the dice and it doesn't work out for you, somehow your party should be on the hook for some of that money. Because this, this, to me, is just a shameful... I mean, all the things that they talked about in the campaign, about all the you know clean water for Indigenous communities and child care and this and that, what would $600 million have done to help some of those? I know. I know. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. But uh, we are where we are. I found it fascinating as we're staying up last night watching this stuff. Uh, and it was pretty obvious by 10 o'clock where it was going to go. So why we just didn't wrap it up then is beyond me. Uh, but, of course, Justin Trudeau was supposed to come out and speak. At, I think it was about 1230, whatever. He was like an hour late. Uh, Trudeau time, as they call it. Um, and he said uh, he, he made it sound as if it's a victory speech. And I guess it was. He still is the prime minister. But he said he now has a clear mandate. Uh, the clear mandate <laughs> yeah. is exactly what he had before he blew $610 million. So how can you stand up and, and sell this as if you've just won your majority? I clearly was not watching the same election that he was. Because <laughs> um, a clear mandate is at the very least a majority. No, yeah. no, I'll, I'll take that back. A clear mandate is at the very least a popular vote. Yeah. No, no, I'll take that back even again. A clear mandate would be a combination of those two things. You got neither. And so, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not arguing he didn't win. He won. And, and yep. in our system of government, he won, and he's the prime minister, and, and he has the right to govern. But to say that there's a clear mandate when you won the lowest popular support in the history of Canadian elections. 
That I, that I I don't see where the clear man the only clear mandate. Maybe, maybe I'm being too hard. Maybe he see. Maybe he's talking about the clear mandate of don't call another election and work with other people and don't do this to us again. Maybe that's the clear mandate he's speaking of. Um, you, you know, I, something that I don't think we're talking a lot about in Canada, and if this was happening in the United States, they, they, we'd be screaming about it, even up here, going, look what they're doing down I there. I know where you're going. I, I the reduction exactly going. in the number of polling stations. The, oh, re, okay. the It was much more difficult to vote this time than last time. Elections Canada said, no problem, no problem. I guess they wanted a little bit more lead-up time. My voter's card uh, arrived after the advance polls opened. Uh, and, and again, there was a vast reduction in the amount of of your opportunity to vote and the lowest turnout. So, how can we be proud of that, especially if you're on the left? Well, okay. So, uh, this is not where I thought you were going to go. I'll tell you where you, I thought you were going to go in a second. But to answer this one, this is what happens when you call a COVID election because yeah. you can't have it in schools because the schools don't want people with COVID. Running no, around. no university students were voting on campus. No, I mean, no, think of that no. alone. This is so, so we heard a lot of people who might have been liberal or NDP or left progressive supporters complaining about this, but it was the liberals who caused, you can't have a COVID election, a pandemic election, and expect that every place that you would otherwise have access to is going to be open. Where I thought you were going to go with that question is, because I think there's going to be a big issue over the next few months, I really do, and that is the people out west, once again are looking at the electoral map and seeing that the entire direction of the country is being yeah. guided by a tiny, tiny, tiny little piece of land when you look at the scope of Canada in yeah. southern Ontario, in Toronto. And I think that we are going to see, I really believe this, a growing Western separatist sentiment to say the country, Canada, Toronto, which chooses everything, doesn't reflect our views. We get no say in this country anymore. What are we doing here? And I think that's a problem. Now, it's it's the rules, and it's our electoral system, and I'm not saying it's unfair. I'm just saying that I think there's going to be people around this country who, when this has happened again and again and again, are finally going to say, how is this working for us? I think he's a very divisive leader. Uh, I think he just does it, though, in sheep's clothing. I think he just does it with, with a very seductive tone. And, uh, you, you know, whether he divides people on gender. I mean, you know, I mean, think about that. And we're not talking about policy. We're not talking about climate change. We're not talking about gun control. I mean, he divides people on gender. Think about that. I mean, it's just, it's bizarre to me, and it's bizarre to me that people just keep buying in and pretend he's something that he's not. And again, you know, this isn't about left and right politics. This is about a leader who, who, who really just doesn't have the capacity. I've had props call him vacuous and, and a lightweight. I mean, I'm just surprised that we keep falling for this. Well, look, there will be people who will take the other point and say he is the best of our options. Yeah, yeah. Agmeet Singh wasn't going to form a government. We didn't believe in Aaron O'Toole. We thought he was Stephen Harper. Like, I would like to know what's the statute of limitations on pointing to Stephen Harper when you've now been in power. Like the other thing Justin Trudeau said in his in his victory speech last night was, "We're here for change." What you've been in power for six years? What yeah, you, what exactly. you could have changed already? What are you? What I are know. Changing? He just says whatever he wants, and everybody believes him. It's like watching a theater arts teacher. I think. But I there know. are group. There are areas of this country that see. I I think you could. Quite frankly, I don't even know that it's Justin Trudeau. I think you could run. You know, Chimpy the orangutan 
as the head of the Liberal Party, and there are vast swaths of yeah. areas in this country that would vote for it because they say we're terrified of the Conservatives. All right, okay, i got to leave so, you there, Scott. Yeah. We'll have to continue after 6 o'clock with you. Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. Thank you, Scott. Much appreciated. Great job, uh, That is a wrap for the show. Thanks for listening. As always, greatly appreciated. Thanks to Ted, Diana, and Will for producing. Coming up next, it is the Scott Radley Show. As always on Hamilton Today, we leave it to you, the good listener, to get up on top of the CHML soapbox, get it off your chest, and have the last word, Tony. Well, I think that Trudeau is a wimp. <clears throat> now, Tony, do you think it's a good idea to be calling people names? Well... No! 